Will you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 as I read the first nine verses. Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no such regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's a lot in this passage, and it covers a great many years, but I only want to really consider two of the things that are in this passage this morning. I can tell a story now that I couldn't tell a few years ago, because the people involved in this story have passed on. Plus, I have moved from Mississippi to New Mexico, where nobody knows any of the uh, details, and I'm really not in New Mexico, am I? I'm in Texas. I owe you my apologies. My wife says that God never makes a mistake, and we all know that. But she said, if he ever made a mistake, it's that I wasn't born in Texas. There you go, there you go. Someone's listening, someone's listening. I appreciate that tremendously. A few years ago, I was at at a meeting and talking to some people, and they referred to this husband and wife by their first and last names. And I was thinking, unless there's a tremendous coincidence, and this was in Mississippi, this was a family that were in our church in San Diego, and they were part of the evangelism program that the Lord used to bring Donna and myself to them. They were very active in the church there. They had lots of company and people into their homes and were just, you know, one of those people is always very, very active in the church. So... I immediately called them up and talked to them. And to make a long story very short, they were not attending any church, and they wouldn't even consider visiting my church, and they would not let me come and visit them. And I thought, well, this is so odd, because I've been in their house so many times, especially as a new convert. But they told me that they were part of the invisible church. Now, you may know people that say they're part of the invisible church. And, you know, the invisible church is a term that's used to uh, represent all believers, past, present, and future. There is such a thing as an invisible church. But my friend said on the telephone to me, we do not have to be a member of a church to be a Christian or go to heaven. They said they can worship God at home or in a campground just as well as they can in a church. And they added that God is not interested, that God is interested in our hearts and not where we worship. 
Well, you know, that sounds good, and you've probably all heard that before. Uh, maybe some of you, of you have even said that before. But you know, it's a false God of what God wants out of his people. That's not the view of the God of the Bible. One advantage that these people have to only being a member of the invisible church is that no one will ever impose upon, uh, 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 impose upon their time, their talent, or their treasure. They'll never have to submit to a governing body because their church at home doesn't have a governing body. They may say it's God, but they have a misconception there. Their children won't have to like the youth leader or approve of the youth group because they don't have a youth group. People who do not attend a church have at least one thing in common with Cain, and that is they will never be concerned with being their brother's keeper because they're not. The only way to know God personally is to learn about him in Scripture, and there's no place that Scripture is opened up as fully as it is within the local church. God is revealed in nature, yes, but not as fully as he is in Scripture. You cannot know what God did by looking at a majestic mountaintop or towering pines or a flowering cactus. A pretty sunset might run chills up and down your spine, but don't ever confuse that with any kind of spirituality. God would have us to interact with other Christians and we can best do that through the visible church. Home worship is not interacting with other people. You can't come here without talking to people, without interacting to one extent or the other with other people. And that is good, and you should all form habits of interacting with as many people within this church as you possibly can. In verse 1 that I read, Eve said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Well, Eve's theology lives on in the mind of many. She thought she got the child and God was there to help her just in case she might need him. In the Garden of Eden, there was a battle between God and Adam and Eve over who would rule. God said, don't do one particular thing, and they did it. They wanted to rule. They didn't want to be under God's command. See, Eve saw God as a helper, not as a sovereign Lord. We blame Adam and Eve for our problems, but let me tell you something, we continue to spread their theology. We see God in a role in, like he's described on bumper stickers, and this one really irks me, but the bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot. Ask a pilot about the difference between a pilot and a co-pilot, and you won't like the bumper sticker either. Now, I hope none of you here have it, but if you do, before you leave the parking lot, Tear it off, okay? Just tear it off. And then you can get your feelings hurt afterwards if you'd like to. Ignoring the visible church and only being a member of the invisible church continues their rebellion against God. Now, let's see how all this works out. In verse 2, it says, Abel was a keeper of sheep and that Cain worked the ground. 
Now, a long time passed between verse 1 and 2. These little babies grew up to be uh, 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 adults. Well, they didn't act like it, but they were adults. After Cain killed Abel, God asked Cain a question. He said in verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? And the reply was, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The question before us this morning is, are we to be the keeper of other people as Abel was the keeper of sheep? Can we ignore God's organized church and his people as my friends and as Cain did? They were only concerned about themselves. They had worship at home. They excluded everybody else. They were not their brother's keeper. Cain was not his brother's keeper. That theology lives on in the mind of many of us. That am I my brother's keeper, that question to God that was the first recorded human question to God, and it certainly wasn't something nice and uh, nice and polite, designed to stir up a good conversation. Cain was telling God that it wasn't his job to look out for his brother. God had other ideas. Cain was saying, I am only responsible for myself, and I can worship at home just as well as I can worship in church, so that's what I'm going to do. He ignores the institution that God brought onto this earth. This is the attitude of a lot of people who have put themselves on the outside of the visible church by claiming they're a member of the invisible church. They find a way to get around it. A lot of people today take what's called the way of Cain, and they only look out for themselves. By not being a part of a church, one releases themselves from being involved in helping to take care of God's sheep. This congregation, you're all God's sheep. And we are to be the keeper of other sheep within our pasture. Within our pasture. Now, there may be a few black sheep in every church that there is, but that's okay. There's still sheep. But who knows? If you look around and you see what you might call a black sheep, maybe you can help that black sheep. Don't avoid the church because there's some black sheep in it. If you do, then they can become the minority. And the majority, then the majority carries the church off in the wrong direction. So we need to stay there. We need to pray for the black sheep. Reach out to the black sheep. Become a keeper of the black sheep as well as of the white sheep. When you don't attend a worship service, when you are just a member of the invisible church, you never have to worry about anybody expecting anything from you. You don't have to worry about the collection plate being passed. You relieve yourself of any responsibility to anyone or to God's church. The people that are in the invisible church worship as they see fit. They control everything. That type of worship is totally self-centered. If, you re- if one really worships at home, it occurs when they want it, the way they want it, 
the time frame they wanted, and they're responsible to no one. That reflects Cain's attitude. In verse 9, Cain was really saying to God, what gives you, God, the right to question me? Should I confess my, why should I confess my sins to you, God, when I am responsible for my own worship and my own theology? The Bible teaches us that we are our brother's keepers. The way of Cain is wrong. The whole thing is in a negative uh, setting. Those who say they're Christians but don't want to be associated with members of a local church contribute to a particular dilemma that we really have in the United States today. I read a book a while ago. I'm going to quote the book. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm going to quote it because I'm going to quote it accurately. The book was called A New Religious America. And the subtitle of the book was How a Christian Country Has Become the World's Most Religiously Diverse Nation. It was applauding the diluting of Christianity. The book says, and they may be right, there are more American Muslims than there are Episcopalians, Jews, or Presbyterians. Now, a copy of this book was given to all of our U.S. representatives. Now, the author, and I don't want to get into the debate of of whether we're a Christian nation or not, but I'm just going to quote you what the book says. The book says, the author says, we are uh, saying that we are not a Christian nation. They said we have no national religious identity. And I do agree with the last part of that statement, that we do not have a national religious identity. People overseas may call us a Christian nation, but more because we're nothing, if we're not something else, we must be Christians by default. But they're wrong. Would you say that we are a distinctly Christian nation based upon our leadership and the kind of publicity we get and the direction that this nation is going in? You see, we should work to change that. And a strong church is the only way we can have any kind of religious identity that's associated with this nation. You do away with the church or dilute the, or dilute the church, make it weaker, and we have even less of any kind of a national identity. People that are only members of the invisible church are withholding support from us who would like to reform our nation or to have some impact on reforming our nation. We want Christianity, we should want Christianity and its theology and its doctrines to affect and to direct all of our lives, but it has to start here within the local church. If you're outside of the local church, you're not strengthening it at all, especially if you profess to be a Christian, you're making it weaker. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. If one does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? That's a statement that requires an answer. I say we are to be our brother's keeper. 
Our coins have a motto from the great seal of the United States, E Pluribus Unum. It's, it says from many one. That motto was adopted in 1782 and it stood for from many colonies, one republic. From many states, one nation. In some social and political circles, people are trying to discuss what that phrase should mean today. In other words, they say it doesn't mean that anymore today. Today it means something different. They want to change the definition. One thing that we must never let it mean is from, one, uh, from uh, many religions, one watered down religion. A lot of people want to water down our religion, our faith. They want to water down Christianity. Anyone who says they're a Christian and does not affiliate with the Christian church dilutes the strength of the church. A while ago, I was talking to a pastor from New Zealand, and he said, because this is one man's opinion, but he said, the light of Christianity is almost out in New Zealand. I'm not picking on New Zealand, that's what he said. But it can happen, it has happened in other places and other nations of where the light of Christianity, God always has a remnant, but you can't see it, you can't find it. And it can happen here. One thing that helps extinguish the light for Christianity is to be disconnected from the local church. Non-committed, but professing Christians may be Satan's greatest ally that he has. He can't hurt the church with the words of an atheist, but he can hurt the, word, he can hurt the church with someone who professes to be a Christian. In response to the question, am I my brother's keeper, I offer this thought. One of the fundamental purposes of the local church is to establish a covenant bond with people within the local church. The heart of your responsibility in the church is intentionally building relationships with other people within the congregation. Associating with a church brings responsibilities. A lot of people don't want any responsibility. So they say, I'm a Christian, but they keep their distance. Remember, there are no ordinary people. You've never looked into the eyes of anybody who is not important to God, even the eyes of the person that you see in the mirror. Absolutely nowhere in the Bible does God ever invite anyone to participate in the invisible church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The invisible church doesn't do anything. It's inert. It's just a term that describes all true believers of all times. You cannot be part of the advancing church if you're not in it. But one who sits in the pew week after week saying, tisk tisk, why isn't someone doing something about this or that? is admitting that you've seen a need within the church or within the kingdom of God and you're not doing anything about it. So you may be in the church but not helping a whole lot because you point out things that need to be improved and do nothing about it. If that's your attitude, you're like Cain and you are not your brother's keeper. 
Paul, Peter, the other apostles, the Protestant reformers, and so many other people have given their lives to help form what we call the visible church. There's a song that says, This old world is not my home. I'm just a passing thrill. That sounds good for lyrics, but it's not very biblical. This world is our home as long as we are here. We are the caretakers of this world. We are the caretakers of other people. And we are the caretakers of God's church as long as he leaves us here. John chapter 10 in verse 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly right now. Have life right now. Have it abundantly right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. We have weakness. But he's talking about us responding right now, right where we are, right where he leaves us. And we're here until he takes us. Augustine said, The glory of God is man truly alive. Augustine said, The glory of God is is man truly alive. His glory can best be seen in the midst of his people gathered for worship. Now, there's a lot of glory of God in the world. But when you stand up here and you look out at people worshiping God, I should be able to see his glory as clearly here as I can see it anywhere. And you can look around and get almost as good a view as I've got from up here. The simple truth is that this world is our home, and it is our home because this is where God has put us. The simple truth is that our service in this world really is service to God. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to serve him. The simple truth is what we accomplish here on this earth, we accomplish for eternity. I'm not talking about works, but I am saying that what you do individually counts for eternity. It's true. We expect to be bodily resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52 says, The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised. Yes, but we have to live between now and then. It's true that we expect a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells in a different way than he dwells here on this earth. John said in Revelation 21 in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So I declare that we should live believing these truths and live as if we believe them. Now the church is not a substitute for our faith, but the church helps channel our faith. The church is a, takes a rough product, you and I, and it smooths out our edges. For some of us, it hurts a little bit. We might prefer to stay home than to be honed a little bit by God. You come to church, you just may get your feelings hurt a little bit. You may get challenged a little bit. And you know you may increase in your spirituality just a little bit. Just a baby step every day or a baby step every week. Hey, that's fantastic. I think God looks down and he sees someone taking a little step and he says, well done, my son or my daughter. The church doesn't perfect us, but it does guide us. Now, if we're honest, we know we all need a little bit of guiding. But if you don't need a little bit of guiding, 
then the church really needs you to be here and help the rest of us. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28 and verse 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I tell you this, Christ has not given his, in the invisible church his yoke. He's talking to people who collectively worship him. He gives us all of these things. In the very beginning, God gathered a church. Throughout the Old Testament, God nurtured his church. He atoned for her sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And God gave the church his spirit at Pentecost. The spirit of God roams throughout the earth, gathering his elect. One day, he will present his church as a spotless bride. And they will continue for eternity. The church is our heritage. It's our home and it's our hope. The church is the only enduring community that there is. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 27 says, So that Jesus might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. My friend and his wife cut themselves off from everything that they used to be so involved in and they won't even discuss it. They both passed on unexpectedly within a fairly short period of time. And I would never sit on judgment on anybody's salvation. None of us would ever do that. But I, it would have benefited me tremendously if I could have found out why they turned the back on the organized church that they were so involved in. Probably somebody hurt their feelings. I don't know. Sometimes that's all it takes. Someone doesn't speak to you just right. I'm never going back there again. When you might be able to help that person that ignored you. Make them your friend. I want to close in prayer. And let's pray for us that are here right now, okay? Let us pray that we will never turn away from the visible church, especially with an excuse like I can worship just as good at home. God is concerned about my heart and not where I worship. Let us not let any of those arguments persuade us in any way to turn our backs on the most enduring community there is, something that God formed in the very beginning and has labored with throughout eternity. The church today is organized a little bit different than the one in Old Testament times. It's the same God, it's the same church, same faith, just a little bit different way of expressing it. Let us pray, our Father in heaven. We thank you, first of all, for just drawing ourselves to you. We thank you, first of all, for forgiving our sins. But, Father, you didn't just forgive us our sins and turn us out to pasture. You introduced us to people that are like-minded. You introduced us to people that have faults just like we do. You've introduced us to people who are going through maybe a little bit of refining by you. But, Father, that's good. Because we can minister to each other. We can have a covenant bonds with each other within our church. So, Father, let us consider the church and consider ourselves, consider our worship with you. Let us never depart this earth being apart from your church willingly. 
Father, we know sometimes people are, are in, just can't attend for physical reasons or whatever else. But Father, for those of us that can, give us the desire to be here and to support this church so that we can become a stronger and stronger witness, especially to this nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.